0: Which is why we will work together and continue to work together to address these issues, to tackle these challenges, and to work together as we continue to work operating from the new norms, rules, and agreements that we will convene to work together on to
1: galvanize global
0: action.
2: Republicans seek to take control of the House of Representatives.
3: Republicans are going to retake both the House and Senate.
2: A liberal MSNBC hosts warning Democrats about the potential for a red wave.
3: Do we have any sort of canary in the coal mine type indications of where we may be headed on that front? Fox
2: News is calling the Virginia governor's race for Republican Glenn Youngkin.
3: You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for
4: our... Welcome back to the Ruthless Variety program. I'm Michael Duncan here with... John Ashbrook and Comfortably Smug. This should be a
0: banger of an episode, folks. Oh, It's it, going to be very
1: special. How about that Mad Libs Kamala? It, it's just, it goes on forever, and I think that's kind of the point. Right. She continues to reach for words, and it's like she's reading a list of synonyms from her website.
4: It's just a bunch of dependent clauses, a lot of commas. <laughs> she doesn't know when to wrap it up. She needs like that Oscar
0: music where they start playing oh, 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 the symphony. From the Chappelle show that wrap that yeah. up. <laughs> wrap it up, B. <laughs> but, I mean, like I'm looking at the transcript says we will work together and we'll continue to work together to address these issues, to tackle these challenges, and to work together as we continue to work,
3: <laughs> that is—that's actual—that's—that's that's a real thing that was it's, said. It's
4: like—it's uh, like in Veep, and we we constantly compare her to Selena Myers, that episode where they say "robust" over and over and over <laughs> yeah. again. Uh, it, and the word cloud is all "robust." Uh, working together is, is sort of Kamala's thing. You'll—you may notice we're—we're we're missing a voice on on today's variety program.
0: And that's right, Mister Holmes. Is at home with COVID. Yeah, and 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 uh, I'm honestly the fact that it took so long for him to get COVID. I mean, like, turn in your conservative credentials. <laughs> <laughs> have you been, what, masked he's been, up he's been an triple an masking. <laughs> yeah,
4: yeah, yeah. No, I mean, look. Uh, I think we've all gone down now at some point with it. I mean, Smug, you've had it like four times. Triple Crown, three time
0: champion. You have. Yeah.
4: It's sort of like it's sort of like in golf where you win the Masters and the PGA and the British
0: Open and Bingo. the U.S. Open.
4: Like you've taken, you've gotten every
0: variant. I got them all. All the all the major ones. The first first wave. I got Delta. I've gotten Omicron. You know,
1: you went out and proactively got them. <laughs> yeah. you, you sought them out. I,
0: I have. I have.
1: I, I I was in
0: the Eastern Hemisphere to catch Delta. I got it straight from the source before anyone brought it <laughs> before we got here.
4: <laughs> oh, this episode's gonna get so many flags. Yeah, hundred yeah. <laughs> percent. Uh, well, we got a great show for you here today. Um, our guest, Michael Schellenberger, is running for governor out in California. Um, it's a great interview. Holmes does that interview remote. Uh, didn't let COVID stop him. Um, I have a new son.
0: Congratulations, That was, a, that was the man. big news of the weekend. Very excited. Son number two, back-to-back sons. Yeah. That's awesome. Awesome.
1: So you're not getting any sleep.
4: Uh, no, not really. A lot of cluster cluster feeding right now. Uh, at night not so great I mean it's obviously a lot more difficult for my wife than for me so I can't really complain but it is what
1: it is well I gotta say our fans are the greatest there was a lot of well wishes out yeah. there on Twitter over the weekend for baby Duncan there was a pool uh,
4: for um, when he would be born and what the birth weight, uh, weight would be um, I'm gonna have to look that up we'll give him a shout out on the next episode um, but yeah all, all went well. So here I am. Fantastic. Here I am. Unlike Josh, who's got right? COVID and is skipping out, I managed to get in for the episode. Yeah.
0: Some people have dedication. Yeah. Holmes,
4: Josh. Holmes, I guess, has taken his his leave like Pete Buttigieg. <laughs> <laughs> uh, also, a, uh, a note to Matt Gilbert, a great friend of the program, uh, a wonderful minion, uh, RIP to his rabbit, Chocolate Thunder uh small, who's a fan of the program because the, imp- yeah. the photo we have is, is is chocolate thunder with the ruthless sign no nothing like losing a pet um well big episode today guys uh we have a really critical follow-up here that's right from some of our previous uh animal content
0: and, and this has to do with uh the tick so there's there's a tick that's been going around biting people it's the lone star tick right that's, that's the one yeah. and uh apparently if 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 you are bit by the tick, it can, it can make it so that for the rest of your life, you are allergic to red meat. Brutal. Which is which is wild. So, uh, the official follow-up, this says, on the previous episode of Ruthless, this is from the Ombudsman Matt McDaniel, the fellows asked the question what eats a tick, in reference to the new Lone Star tick's arrival in DC area. Uh, so, the team did some digging, because I thought, you know, there's gotta be some animal, or can we genetically engineer, like an anteater and, you know, send them out, like, go get them. Uh, there are a lot of animals you'd expect lizards bigger bugs, frogs, and squirrels. But the name that jumped out to our researchers, wild turkeys. That's awesome. I did not know that. Could it be that the same aggressive Anacostia fowl who's been attacking bikers are actually saving us from a life of veganism? <laughs> According to Wild Birds Unlimited, an adult turkey is one of the most voracious tick predators around. An ind- individual
1: may eat 200 or more of these little critters in a given day. Wow. Really? Yeah. I, mean, that's a, well, I don't know where they find 200 or <laughs> more of these work. Yeah, it, I mean, they got to have some eagle eyes.
0: I mean, that is awesome. Like, that is extremely effective. It just takes one tick to ruin, you know, your life. And these guys are putting 200 of them down a day.
4: So we also had um, a testimonial uh, in the replies here on the last episode on the Lone Star Tick. As the World Burns, a uh, friend of the program, uh, said on Twitter. So in May of 2020, I got bit by the Lone Star Tick. Wasn't on my arm long, longer than a few minutes. I got alpha gall. Allergy. That's what this says. The oh, red meat. Shit. Out. I got the allergy so bad I couldn't be in the same room as beef cooking. It took me an entire year of elimination diet to get rid of it. It did go away, though. I was lucky.
1: Wow. Can you believe that? That sounds really it, terrible. It's horrifying. Yeah. It's just. It's just horrifying. And it
0: took. It took a year. We need to unleash the turkeys. Yes. And the thing is, is that, like, you know, usually where there's these situations where scientists are like, "Oh, you can't just put an invasive species out into the biome or whatever it'll destroy the planet here's the thing is you, let's say we put out a uh, hundred million turkeys right a hundred million turkeys just let them loose come november everybody eats done right problem solved you know what that is
4: a
1: great point <laughs> there'd be a lot to be thankful for
0: i would run on that <laughs>
1: <laughs> and in the meantime the wild turkeys are scaring the libs off the bike paths <laughs> it's just a win-win it's a win-win uh, do you guys want to read some five stars let's read sure some five thing.
4: stars Okay, I'll take the first one here from 1 Star Tin Man. Your podcast got my coworker sent out in the hall. <laughs> Longtime fan listener of the program and hard laughter at smug sadistic tweets. I introduced my coworker to your podcast back in December of 2021. We work in a skiff, uh skiff's a like a secure conference space. Mm-hmm. Um people with like top security clearances or like government contractors need to use them. Um uh, it's our only access to anything on the outside world between the hours of 7 to 5. I've worked under our current UC for a few years and know his sense of humor. I also know that disruptions of work will get uh, give him the incentive to embarrass you and that my coworker has a tough time containing laughter when he gets uh, gets away from him. I started my coworker off with recommending the Thanksgiving podcast. There you go. It started benign enough with light laughter, but escalated around to the F you, you made your choice comment from Holmes <laughs> in regards to chopsticks. Our UC looked at my coworker, not to misgender him, but we'll call him John. UC looked at John and asked for him to go out to the hall until he could compose himself in front of 30 other professionals like we were in fifth grade. Trying to stifle my laughter and 20, 30 minutes later said you see came walks across the room, opens the door, and asks John if he's ready to return to the class to a raucous laughter from everyone in the room. Thank Thanks to the fellas for all you do and keep owning the lips. That's amazing. Oh, that I great. fully
0: support people hazing co-workers using well, our shows as the, as the way to do it.
4: And I also really like uh, people l- laughing so hard at
0: it that they can't contain themselves <laughs> in public. Like you're a security threat. Yeah. yeah <laughs> Compose yourself. Uh, so this one is from AJ in San Marcos, Texas. It's climatic bears. Oh, oh hell yeah! Sure, maybe all my viewpoints align with the fellas. Maybe Ashbrook's voice sounds like God Himself came down to get down with our earbuds, <laughs> like Holmes may or may not like to get down with giant tortoises. <laughs> <laughs> amazing. Maybe Duncan's gonna get the pod flagged again for an allegedly discriminatory, discriminatory Italian remark. Okay, that wasn't me though. <laughs> that, was that, was that was you. That was Duncan. That was for not. Time, that was Duncan. That was.
4: <laughs> I'm clear of the air. That was Ashbrook and Smug. That had nothing to do with me.
0: No one doesn't love spaghetti and meatballs. <laughs> maybe Smug could punt a fox or wring a turkey's neck. One thing he couldn't do is take on a climatic koala. Uh, this is true. Those cuddly-looking dudes are mean enough without having drippy dipsticks. So while I will always defer to Smug's opinion on whether Lark or Clarendon is a superior Instagram filter, an Aussie is not to be trifled with, least of all which is the koala, leading cause of death in Australia 2021. Don't fact check me, but th- they have a great point. So koalas, number one. I mean, people think you know they're this like nice little teddy bear creature. They're horrible creatures. Like we discussed before, they all have STDs, but they also reek. They really? smell awful, and they're incredibly pungent and powerful because they're on eucalyptus all day long, and it just like stays on them and rots. So they smell like incredibly pungent from this, and they have these massive claws that are filthy from like climbing these trees. They're 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 dangerous. They'll like gut you. They're a terrible animal. Awful animal. I I don't know. Is it legal to hunt these things? Because I would love to bag these koalas. (laughs) It's like for the greater good.
1: Or we could set some wild turkeys on them. There you go. Okay, here's one more. This one is from (laughs) R-U-C-N-O-K. And it's titled, Love your doses of sarcasm injected into my soul. Definitely helps this small town girl. And what she writes is, Every episode reminds me of my dad and how we used to love laughing and being sarcastic and not getting offended. My dad died in a farming accident 16 years ago, and sometimes I, I tear up wishing he was around to listen to you fellas. Oh, man. Uh, he would have loved so much listening to you, especially when we would be working on equipment in the machine shed. Every time I listen, I get a little memory of my dad and the banter we had about politics and even the crazy animal bits. Thank you so much for putting this back in my life. Also loved the latest Wild Turkey story, Running Loose. (laughs) After the Wild Fox story, too, Running Loose was just too good. I have laughed so hard about the reactions to dealing with these awful attacks against the most liberal wussies in the arena. (laughs) Doesn't get better than that and here we don't throw bikes at the turkeys. We actually call them in. We aren't some whimpering, scared loser who's probably traumatized by an encounter with a bird and a shotgun works pretty good at taking care of the issue. (laughs) Uh. I love what you do. Keep doing it. Keep the sarcasm coming and the interviews. Because of you, I am able to slay so many things that the left uh, throws at me. Again, thank you for bringing back memories of my dad. Man, that is just incredible.
4: Awesome stuff. Um, Well, on to the meat of the program here. Uh, Politico put up an article. Did you guys see this? It is so ridiculous.
0: Completely ridiculous.
4: (laughs) Uh, Yeah, it's (laughs) Uh, Politico here. uh, The headline here at Politico, Biden starts conceding uh, that the bygone era of D.C. may indeed be gone. Um, basically, the theme of this is that you know, Joe Biden decides he's not going to be a nice guy anymore.
0: No more, Mr. Nice guy, <laughs> yeah, from <laughs> Biden, which is this like the framing of this. Like, I know they have a tough job, right? That like Joe Biden is completely unresponsive, everything has gotten worse for Americans across this right. country since he's become president. They're going from crisis to crisis with no idea of what they're doing so you don't need to necessarily like the media's job they're basically just trying to save this guy but you don't need to be like wow this guy's like some kind of like a badass superhero being like no more mr nice guy like what is he gonna do but what this is, what is Biden gonna do he can't even like put sentences together what, what is they're trying to make him look like he's the terminator or something
1: but the but I mean stepping into reality for a second, this is the same guy who called Republicans Bull Connor and Jefferson right. Davis. Right. Yeah. So and, it's and, not and, like he stepped in to play patty cake. R- mm.
4: Right. And this was early on in his mini- administration.
1: It was like his first
4: thing he
1: came out swinging on this. It was always fiction that he was going to step in and be the great the great bringer together right. of all things <laughs> <laughs> bipartisan. Yeah. 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 I mean, I, obviously, this is
4: just them trying to retcon what what has happened for the last 2 years because he hasn't accomplished anything right and so the villain of of high inflation the villain of the supply chain crisis and the villain of his failed you know Afghanistan withdrawal has to be the republicans right and so what you get here is this let me just read from the article the fever didn't break oh. <laughs> amazing <laughs> and for the biden white house efforts at bipartisanship have finally taken a back seat <laughs> to the frustration of many democrats and some of his closest advisors president joe biden has steadfastly spent more than a year in office insisting on trying to work across the aisle with republicans
0: when i don't recall any like it's,
4: it's just made up it's
0: just just because you up. can't remember anything doesn't mean we're in the same it's, boat like
4: the, the the whole theme of this article you really get this t- the tone and the tenor here that basically The only reason Joe Biden failed is because he tried too hard.
0: (laughs) You know? (laughs) He just gave everyone a shot and everybody let him down. They're like, you know, Democrats have the House, they have the Senate, they have the White House. Why won't these
1: Republicans
0: pass these things?
1: (laughs) But it's not just Republicans. BBB is so far to the left, they can't even get all the Democrats. Yeah. Oh, uh, more here
0: uh, from the article. This line is insane. It's, But it's also been colored by a fair dose of in-your-face GOP obstructionism. I mean, <laughs> like, how do you write this stuff and, like, look at yourself in the mirror? Like, how would it have been covered when Democrats used the filibuster to stop GOP legislation and judges? Like, you'd never hear any talk about how the Democrats, their entire purpose— whenever they have power is, okay, let's just try to obstruct as much as possible. Like, the media would portray it as, like, wins. They're like, oh, yes, you know, you have to stop President Trump. Right. Meanwhile, it's like, you, the Dems control everything. The reason they can't get anything passed is on them.
4: So so they move through all of this sort of retconning to my favorite part of the article, which is just this sort of navel-gazing about how everybody let him down and got it wrong. <laughs> Biden has, this is from the article again, Biden has expressed frustration with media coverage of his administration and believes that the press... And Americans at large have been too quick to gloss over the damage Trump did to the country. He (laughs) also has taken to telling aides that he no longer recognizes the GOP, which he now views as an existential threat to the
0: nation's democracy. I mean, I don't think he recognizes a lot of faces. (laughs) I don't think that has to do with anyone else. I mean, he doesn't even recognize his grandchild, the one that, you know, on with the stripper. Right. (laughs) (laughs) uh you know what's really interesting in in this and back
4: to the the point earlier about bull connor ashbrook right it's like oh now you think we're an existential threat because before you were just calling us race racists and nazis who want to get rid of democracy yeah, yeah
1: now now we're a threat you figured it out two years later huh these guys cannot get their story straight i mean they are they are doing a terrible job the polls show and it's why they're going to get wiped out in November. And one other thing, like the, the fact that they get these, and I, I this is always my hobby horse is in the media and how soft they are for on Democrats. But the fact that they write this stuff on demand for Democrats mm-hmm. gives every single Dem a false sense of security. And if you talk to, I mean, I, I actually, I've got some, some buddies who are Dem consultants and they acknowledge this. It gives them a false sense of security so that they think like, oh, maybe things aren't as bad. Maybe the poll numbers are wrong. Maybe the reporters are right. And then they get smoked in November, and, right. and
4: they believe this agenda-setting, narrative-setting, superstructure, and democracy that exists in these coastal elite communities actually determines politics. And, of course, it does not, and it softens them from right. an
0: electability right. standpoint. Right. And, I mean, it's just so wild for them to, to paint this picture where they're like, oh, we're hoping that folks will realize— the damage done by the Trump administration. Like, <laughs> right, I, they're
4: I, paying fucking $5 for gas right now. My wife and I can't get baby formula.
0: You know what I'm saying? That's what I'm saying. And it's, it's like, like, I remember the Trump era, and it was so awesome. Yeah. Like, everyone had a job. The Like, there were more jobs created than people to work them. Gas is like 2 bucks. The economy was booming. Right. Booming.
1: Not the case anymore.
0: Yeah. I mean, it, and it didn't take long. It, it just... It went south so quickly.
1: With the, the, and that is the
4: telling thing in here, Smug, is that Biden doesn't just blame the media. He says, and um, er, Politico says, I should say, Americans at large have been too quick to gloss over the damage. It's, it's, also, it's, it's, it's your, your fault. People, it's the like, people it's, don't know what's good for them.
0: It's, it's almost like the Obama thing again, where they're like, boy, you guys let Obama down. <laughs> Americans, you have let Obama down. <laughs> you let Obama down.
4: Uh, well, clearly people aren't buying this bullshit. Uh, a new May poll from NBC News. Just 16%, 1-6, believe uh, our country's on the right track.
0: It's a 13-year low. Only 16%? Yeah. I mean, wow.
4: I would love to know who those 16% yeah,
0: are. Yeah. <laughs> Dem consultants. Yeah. Highly oversampled. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man! It's like, yeah, easily a thirteen year low. It's gotta be an all time. I've I, I saw some discussion of it saying that it was an all time low. I've never seen a number that low that only sixteen percent of Americans think things are going in the right direction. That like, yes, it's it's shocking, but like Duncan said at the same time, who are these sixteen percent? I can't think of a single person who doesn't have a laundry list of problems of of, of dealing with this government and they're like how inept they are. we uh, we, we had a buddy who just who, who dropped by before we started recording talking about the number of jobs that Biden vaporized when he got rid of Keystone on day one. I mean, this administration has just been, like, hell-bent on making life worse for everybody and the, like, audacity of them to turn around and
1: be like, wow, why don't these people appreciate us? <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, you know, who feeds that, that uh, feeling is the press. That these people are willing to,
0: you know, sell their dignity and whatever— so when so they could get invited to these like off the records with Jen Saki when they were when she was there and get and they feel important and and they want to be part of this like hippal administration that gets TikTok influencers to to drop by and do these videos with like Jen Saki and and for that like those are their what thirty pieces of silver that they're willing to be like, hey, everything looks great for me. You know, I get to live in, in, in D.C. I get to be invited by the White House to go to these like little parties and these off the records. People think I'm important. They don't realize the rest of the country actually has real lives and has seen everything go off. Like these journalists are not worrying about the price of gas. They're worrying about what's the next cocktail party they're getting invited to. You know, they don't have to deal with any of these issues. And so when their purpose is supposed to be holding people in power to account. And the only account they put in the papers seems like, why are the American people letting Joe Biden down? <laughs> it's unreal.
1: It's it's honestly it's it's another argument for voting for Republicans uh, for office, because then, you know, the press will yeah. hold your leaders accountable. Yeah. Yeah. That's the Ma- only
4: way you get it. Mark Murray uh, from NBC News uh, tweeted out the and fave faves or political figures in mm-hmm. America as part of this poll down at the way bottom of the list. Less popular than Kamala Harris. Is the
1: Democratic Party writ large?
4: What, what <laughs> thirty-one fave? Fifty unfaith. Wow, <laughs> a, <That's laughs> a negative not good. nineteen.
1: You know who that's that's especially bad for are these Democrats who basically have no image of their own right. apart from being a, a member of the party. You know, like the Catherine Cortez Mastos, the Maggie Hassan, several of them that are up for re-election right now look more like a generic Democrat than they do somebody who's done something special for right. their state. Right, they don't have any like
4: independent streak
1: profile like a Joe
4: Manchin. You know, it's just. You're, you just you rubber stamp the agenda,
1: and and the go along to get along works sometimes, but it definitely does not work when everybody's out to get a generic Democrat. Right. I think
0: they started seeing the tea leaves when like y- you hear less and less of Democrat candidates who are up who are in cycle up for real action of like inviting Joe Biden. I think a lot of them learned from you know when Yunkin won, uh, McAuliffe would be like, "Yeah, I want Joe Biden over here, and and I want to make this election about how." Uh, Trump is a Nazi, and, I mean, he got smoked as a result of that. Right. And, and and this White House is like, so what we need to do is focus on Trump as a Nazi. Like, <laughs> this is the issue that matters this to Americans. We have to thing. say Republicans are radical so and did don't you, recognize them. Did you guys follow
4: that ultra-MAGA thing at all? A little yeah, a bit, this? Yeah. So uh, anyway, Biden rolls out this new attack on the Republican Party saying ultra-maga. I guess the idea is that we are now even more extreme than he called us when we said two years ago we were Bull Connor. Uh, but they paid money for that talking point. I saw that. I they, saw pa- that. They, 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 they paid money. you like, there, there was research done by these liberal groups, polling
0: done, to, to come up with ultra-maga. They uh, spent six months doing like <laughs> focus groups, and they thought that, like, hey, this is the way— that we can get them is uh, and and, and uh, double if, if
1: down I, on the previous election. Yeah.
0: If, <laughs> if, I, if I remember correctly, the the political consultants who put that together was Anita Dunn's outfit, right? Oh, I'm
1: sure, I'm sure. Yeah.
4: I mean, let's let's relitigate the last election while gas is five fucking dollars. You think that's gonna fly with voters? Ultra no. Mag is like something that you would. It's like Twitter talk. Yeah. You know. Do you think the average
1: voter cares about this bullshit? No. They and and the more and the more they talk about it, the the more credibility they lose. Right. And I I just like they're spending so much time on culture. They're spending so much time on on issues that aren't related to prices, gas prices, grocery prices. We say this ad nauseum on the show, but that's what everybody's dealing with. And also, I think, you know, part of part of their
0: problem is, is, you know, they're, they're being told rightly that Republicans are winning on the culture war. Right. But the thing that conservatives have going for them is like that a happy warrior thing. Mm-hmm. Of what we're pointing out, like like lives of TikTok is a prime example of this. Of pointing out the absurdity, right? And how ridiculous the left has become. Right. and this is that's just why we do the variety program. And meanwhile, like the best they can cook up. And, and pay money for and do six months of studying is so we're rolling with ultra Maga, <laughs> which honestly I would I would be less surprised if if it was a Republican outfit that came out and was was telling Republicans here what she'd run on ultra MAGA. Yeah. sounds way cooler <laughs> you know it's going to get people hyped up we should roll with that and the Dems, and, and the Dems come up with it. it's incredible. It sounds like an awesome beer. Yeah,
4: 100%. Anyway, so sort of a segue here to the topic we've touched on a little bit. Uh, Baby formula meltdown. Uh, We got Baghdad Bob over at the FDA insisting, uh, there's no baby formula shortage, just a distribution issue.
0: (laughs) Uh, Here we go again, man. I have not seen that. Are you kidding me? There's no inflation. Soon it'll be like actually... The, the baby formula problem is transitory, and I'll yeah. say the baby formula problem is good.
1: <laughs> I mean, this is real. I had no idea. Thank God for the New York Post right? to write this stuff. The leader of the Food and Drug Administration claimed Monday that the disappearance of baby formula from store shelves across the U.S. is due to a, quote, distribution problem rather than lack of supply. Unbelievable. Uh, Yeah, more from the New York Post. You're currently only nine
0: people are assigned to address the baby formula within the entire FDA. And and that's the beauty of it. This was was the statement that they put out. They're like, there's only nine people. Yeah. Who are working on, We're on top it. Of it's like it. only nine? Like that tells you everything about how like the government managers things. They're like, listen, we have a problem, but only nine people are working. How many people do you need working on this? They're like, it has to pass through nine levels of decision making for people to be like, okay, we got a problem. Now it's got to go right back down the totem pole for nine people. And like the problem here is there's only nine people.
4: Well, I mean, spe- speaking from a recent experience, obviously with the new baby and everything like this sucks. It, I mean, it, first of all, it is fucking real, and second of all, you know, the toughest thing in the first few days of birth for people who don't know is you know weight loss uh, from from a newborn, and you know, for some uh, mothers, it takes a couple of days for like your breast milk to really come in. You have colostrum a little bit at the beginning, and uh, it's like high calories and everything's good good for the baby, but it takes a while for the milk to really come in, so you supplement with formula and that's how you don't go into your first pediatrician appointment and your kid is like a pound lighter than he was four days ago right and so for I mean like this isn't just you know it's not like bacon's expensive right it's not like oh my ground beef's a little more expensive this burger's a little more expensive like this is a demoralizing thing for a lot of these women to
1: have to go through and to know their government doesn't give a shit is incredible and and you can't just make it is that is that my understanding my understanding correct that it's it's not so simple that you can just find a find a recipe on google and come up with the ingredients and mix up your own
4: no i mean not not, i mean at least the way that it is now um you know where they've really they they, you know they go through a lot to get make sure you get the right nutrients in there that that the baby needs right
1: um so 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 what do you do i mean you just you just got to drive a half an hour to find it or or i mean
4: yeah i mean go to amazon and see everything uh. is out of stock you know i've I've heard people trying to figure out how to get a delivery from amazon canada that amazon.ca had some of it in stock but then they were shutting down you know shipping to the united states on it anyway wait not they, good they were shutting down they wouldn't well, I mean, like the first thing we did was, was go to that and they wouldn't process the order. I don't know if it was shut down or
0: something. It just got caught up in the, the inner tubes of the oh. internet. But, um, and, yeah. And just to put this info out, so I went to Google and I typed out homemade and it the first suggestion for like, you know, the most searched thing is baby formula recipe. Right. right? And Everybody's then, doing this. And then I searched for it and the first thing you see is like four different news organizations being like, don't make baby formula at home. This government, and in 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 so many ways, has let Americans down. Well, and and I mean I, I mean we
4: prepared, you know. So like for us, we're gonna
0: be not fun. surprised. We're gonna be we're gonna be fun. yeah. We're we're gonna a be surprised. You know? Duncan probably has had a vault with like you know supplies to survive a nuclear bombing and <laughs> baby formula. He's it's got like seeds, a, a two year supply. Yeah, he's ready. To, he's ready to like replant after the nuclear wars go down.
4: Yeah, but then you know, I mean, you're you're in the ward, the, the maternity ward, and there's like know five ten babies born every night maybe more you know like what do all those moms do mm-hmm.
1: well i read that um three months ago they're the biggest manufacturer of baby formula uh is in michigan I yeah think. abbott yeah and um and they're the, the fda shut down their plant because of um accusations of some babies getting sick apparently that that accusation was cleared up a, a month ago six Are you weeks serious? ago and the the plant is, was still forced to to be shut down even after that. Jeez. So the, there's nobody to blame but the but the government itself. The inefficiencies of government at work, people. If you if you think that government is the answer, never forget this episode with baby formula.
0: So, so this is amazing. So so there's stories now of what people are going through, uh, trying to get their hands on on baby formula and the, and getting in touch with this administration, apparently they're being put on hold for over 72 minutes and then getting no information. It's from the CNN article.
4: Yeah, the Biden administration is confronting a barrage of questions from the article, questions and criticisms for the national baby formula shortage that has anxious and angry parents hopping from store to store in search of baby food. The White House was unable to point to federal guidance last Thursday on what parents struggling to find formula should do. And recommended the families reach out to their doctor and pediatrician. There you go. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I can tell you in the in the going home bag they gave us, uh, you know, like eight two, two ounce bottles. You know, which thank you, thank you very much. I we appreciate
0: it, but like that ain't gonna cut it for very long. <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah. It says a CNN reporter tested out some. Uh, so so uh, okay, on Friday unveiled a new website. Uh, and then, then White House Press Secretary Sackey said, we recognize that parents have a lot of questions. The new website, she said, is aimed at providing resources and places parents can go to obtain formula, including contacts with companies, food banks, and healthcare care providers. Uh, the website lists contact information for a number of baby food manufacturers, including uh, Gerber and Abbott. Uh, it says, a CNN reporter tested out some of the resources to try to determine how helpful they are likely to be for parents who are desperately looking to procure baby formula. The exercise resulted in apologetic customer service representatives one hold time that lasted well over an hour and serious Jeez. challenges in
1: finding baby formula
0: and that's CNN's journalist trying to paint as rosy a picture as possible being like so, wow
1: so the Biden administration has no answers My. and then they launched a website <laughs> to say that they have no answers
0: <laughs> Kamala says we're in the process of developing answers it's for a working website together. with answers where we can work together on working together for answers, <laughs> a, r- a robust website. Um, They've passed out more crack
1: pipes this year than baby formula. Dollars. Someone needs to run on that.
0: Someone yeah. d- that's that's it. Like if you're a crackhead, oh yeah, oh yeah. So the, who do, who, no do, who thought with, the Biden family's focus is on that? Right.
1: No, no problems with that supply chain. Yeah,
0: <laughs> that's a supply chain they're on top of, and your tax dollars are, are going straight to it. But when it comes to baby formula, it's incredible. It's unreal.
4: Um, we have a
0: very important uh,
4: animal update. We got to get two fellas.
0: Uh-oh. Uh,
4: murder fox arrested executed. Wait, what? A wild fox that could be responsible for terrorizing and killing dozens of flamingos at the Sm- Smithsonian National Zoo in D.C. has been caught and killed. Wow. Remember we were talking about this yeah, uh, yeah. this fox, uh, was it last week? It was last week. He was like sociopathic, just like ripping their necks.
0: Yeah, he took out how many? Like 20 or 30 of these yeah. things?
1: Here, here's the thing. Did they execute it before they had a chance to try to get him to flip on Hank? <laughs> because, <laughs> because this this fox, I I understand, is much closer to Hank than a lot of the other. You know, he, you know, he
0: didn't say a word. No, no, no. And here's the thing: is like I, you know, this fox was more than happy to go for the cause. Because the thing is, is like remember the Capitol fox? They murdered. They killed the fox. They killed the 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 fox mom. Yeah. They killed the baby foxes.
1: Like, oh, I see. Yeah, this
0: okay. Th- this guy, he, he, you know, this fox was sent to send a message. Yeah. And the message was sent, you know. You take one of ours, we take 20 flamingos. Bingo. So he's like, I'm done. I happily die for this cause, you know. I'll take a 24 or, you know, however many flamingo to one fox ratio all day. You don't win wars against people like this. You can't fight this. No,
1: the a- the animal kingdom is very powerful.
4: There's, uh, we, we got some other animal news here. And this is from McDaniel, our, our producer, um, because... You know Ashbrook and Smug, you guys had demanded we we yeah. discuss this story, and we didn't get to it before
0: because McDaniel says this is a sad story.
4: Uh, this is about the meth monkey.
0: So that's the thing is at the, at the end of the day, yeah. this is about a meth monkey. Yeah. How are you not going to cover? <laughs> you got to cover a it. meth monkey. It's what we do on the variety
1: program. Convergence yeah. of topics.
0: So okay, this is from the article. It says Dayton twenty four seven. Wait, did this happen in, in Ohio? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It, it happened in Cincinnati. Oh, Ashbrook, what do you say for yourself? I mean, of course. <laughs> of co- Imagine living in Cincinnati. What's there to do? i oh. mean, like, you're looking for something. Reds every, are not playing well. Every day is another day of like just gray drudgery. Like what's, what is What is the meaning of life living in, in Cincinnati? You have to find some way to entertain yourself. This guy said, you know what? Let's let's get a meth monkey. It
4: says the owner faces felony charge after monkey on meth looked like he was in a concentration camp.
0: Okay. So that is like way over the top description way over the top so i'm looking at the meth monkey okay he seems to be okay this is a capuchin monkey yeah i mean those. here's the, here's the picture yeah. so the guy oh, looks no the guy looks like he's in worse condition no the monkey, the monkey, the monkey, just monkey looks, looks like bad he, i mean just i mean i don't know what a normal non-meth
1: type of these monkeys look like he
0: looks like he's had you know a, a lot of fun days ahead of him <laughs> well he,
1: well the monkey has a name his uh his name was neo and and he was he was the second uh such monkey that this guy owned. the first one died Um, no shocker (laughs) no, no details on what happened to the first one but there was a veterinarian in florida who tipped off animal control officers in cincinnati that this monkey might have been abused or on drugs and they checked at the address and found a lot of drugs and guns so this guy uh had neo locked up and um and he did test positive for math. <laughs> Performance enhancing drugs. He was also malnourished. Well, it says here that he
0: has since been sent to a rehab in Indiana. That's wild. And is now in an undisclosed <laughs> location. Like, we got rehabs for monkeys. <laughs> yeah, like, <laughs> God bless America. I hope it's like passages or something. You know? like, <laughs> oh, he's got a pool, Passages, mouth You know, he's getting some good organic food. Yeah. <laughs> Oh man, that's incredible. I mean from the photos the monkey looks like he's having a great time. All right. Like I you know, <laughs> here's the thing is ever since the case of Junkie Horse, you never know. You know, people are very quick to judge these horses and, and animals that like drugs, and then they took it away from Junkie Horse, dead.
1: Well, dead. we're gonna have to we're gonna have to that's follow what, up. That's on what, what I'm saying what is keep an eye Neo. on this
0: horse. Or yeah. uh, on this monkey.
1: Yeah. Maybe maybe he could start a Twitter account. <laughs> Uh, speaking of Twitter accounts, uh,
4: have you seen Jeff Bezos' Twitter account? Wow. He's been he's been lighting it up lately,
0: right? I, I don't know if maybe he has a new PR team or something, but he's been much more. Well, he's got more time on his hands now that he's not, you know, the CEO of Amazon. So I guess this is what yeah. I highly recommend. If you've got some time, <laughs> get on Twitter and start fighting people. Yeah. Maybe, <laughs> maybe
1: it's just Elon's life in the last couple of weeks looks like too much fun. It, and it's rubbing off on the other yeah. billionaires. Yeah.
3: Yeah.
4: Hell yeah. Uh, so, Biden, if you missed this, Joe Biden had this tweet. Uh, you want to bring down inflation? Let's make sure the wealthiest corporations pay their fair share. Which
0: is just so <laughs> is Just insane. complete nonsense. Doesn't make any sense. I, I was saying, there, like, your first year course on intro to basic econ, kids there have a better grasp on what causes inflation right. than the morons who are running this country. Like, there is no connection whatsoever. None. None to, no to the sense. corporate tax rate and inflation. Like, who came up with this? Who came up with this? Is, is, is Venezuela's tax rate too low? Is this, like, the implication? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. They got out their taxes. Bezos
4: uh, responds here. The newly created disinformation board should review this tweet, or maybe they need to form a new non-sequitur board instead. Raising corporate taxes is fine to discuss. Taming inflation is critical to discuss. Mushing them together is just misdirection. Wow bringing the heat yeah and wild.
0: I mean this is the wild thing is that like okay this the the billionaire donor base is basically who has been setting the agenda for the Dems like to begin with and the fact that even they you know they're literally they're they're the, the 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 fuel for the Democrat party and that they're now turning on them well
4: but just at some point it becomes like throwing darts at the wall right like you know, Biden and they're they're trying to figure out what their message is for the midterms, right? And they can't say, obviously, the truth, which is that they've fucked everything up and everything's wrong and they have no plan to fix it. Uh, so they've tried blaming Ultra Maga. <laughs> they've tried blaming Donald Trump. They've tried blaming, you know, billionaires. I mean, what are you going
0: to do? So we, so we got some late breaking news. So so Bezos took to Twitter again. Wow. And he says, uh, Jeff Bezos tweets, look, a squirrel. This is the White House statement about my recent tweets. They understandably want to muddy the topic. They know inflation hurts the neediest the most. But unions aren't causing inflation, neither are wealthy people. Remember, the administration tried their best to add another $3.5 trillion to federal spending. They failed. But if they had succeeded, inflation would be even higher than it is today. And inflation today is at a 40-year high. Is Jeff mm.
4: Bezos a listener to the Variety yeah. program? I mean, wow. certainly sounds that way. Oh, that's incredible. Wow. Well, incredible stuff. Um, Fellas, you want to get to this interview? Let's get to this interview. Okay, this is Michael Schellenberger.
2: I want to welcome to the program a really interesting guy. He's a best-selling author, a a thought leader, and now he's a candidate for governor of California. Michael Schellenberger, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me, man. Um, Listen, I have read some of your stuff, and I've watched some of your interviews, and I, I think what's most fascinating about me about you to me is that you you consider yourself a liberal and i read your stuff and it's it's like a a clear cut of neoliberalism i mean it's basically the best critique that i've heard on the modern progressive movement in a long time and it sort of seems like in some ways it's coming from inside the tent
3: yeah for sure i mean this question of identity has become like the, the first question that people want to ask so I'm not surprised you asked. I just did a I just did a radio show interview with Michael oh uh, gosh, I always butcher his last name. S- Smernik Smurnik? He's a CNN guy. Oh, Smirkonish, um, sure. Smirkonish. Yeah, and it was his first question too. And it was already coming up a lot last year, last couple of years. I mean, the best way I can say it, it this came from a friend of mine. He says I am a Bleeding Heart Liberal, when it comes to my concern for the vulnerable, I'm a libertarian when it comes for my passion for freedom, and a conservative in my belief that you need civilization to protect both. Right. If you don't have a civilization, then you can't care for the vulnerable and you can't defend anybody's freedom. And civilization is under attack. I believe that civilization is in the process of undermining itself from within. It's the subject of my f- the first two books of this trilogy, Apocalypse Never in San Francisco. And I have a third book I'm under contract to write for HarperCollins, which I'll write if I lose, in the, if I lose the election in June or November. <laughs> and if I win, then I guess I'll have to negotiate to turn it into a memoir. Um, but <laughs> right. I think this issue of why civilization has undermined itself is sort of the most important political and intellectual question of our time.
2: Well, it seems like it is it is the underlying thesis that you've taken to to both books. Um, and w- I appreciate the fact that you sort of reject being put in a box, right? Your, your conservatism is not this. I want to be in
3: three boxes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. it's boxes. Many bo- well, <laughs>
2: as many boxes you have to be in to make a rational thought these days, which, you know, it, it, I, in San Francisco in particular, which is, it's basically about how modern progressive governance in cities across America have destroyed these cities. Um, Tell us about your, your production of that, of that book and your thought process.
3: Yeah, sure. So this was, so this is the second, so apocalypse never is, is called why is subtitled why environmental alarmism hurts us all. It was a huge um, seller It's a big bestseller. Um, It's been translated into 17 languages came out in 2020 in the summer of 2020. And when you write a bestseller, then you often get a chance to go write another book. And it turns out that's the real, uh, that's the real uh, prize. And so this was the book I wanted to do. I wanted to do a book on California and my editor persuaded me to do it about San Francisco. And um, as usual, it turned out to be great advice. You know, my college, my college English professor always told me, he said, you know, he said, Michael, you know, your writing would be better if you bit off less and chewed harder. So I bit off less and chewed hard on San Francisco. And it was a great focusing device. You know, the book is about its subtitle, which is by Progressives ruin Cities. So sometimes people are like, you should write a book about Seattle. And I'm like, no, no, that's <laughs> I did. That's the same book. Yeah. The problems in Portland, Seattle, Vancouver, Los Angeles, increasingly places like Philly and Denver are identical. So it's the same issues. Um, You know, the the main focus is the open drug scene, which we mislabel homeless encampments or homelessness. But I also deal with crime, rising homicides, the defund the police movement, the- And how it's all interconnected, which I think is most important, right? That's right. Well, it's the same people. You know, that are the same people that are creating so-called anarchist autonomous zones in places like Seattle and Portland are the same people that defend the open air drug scene. And in fact, when they created that, um, the most famous of the autonomous zones in Seattle in 2020, they actually brought in homeless people to that autonomous zone and really to use, I think, you know, dehumanize in a dehumanizing way. But yeah, I mean, just to skip to the punchline, um, the, I, what I've found is that what's at bottom is a victim ideology, which is this idea that you can divide the world into victims and oppressors. To victims, yeah. everything should be given and nothing required. This is, it, it comes out of Rousseau, Marx, Foucault. Um, these are thinkers, that that's the intellectual provenance of it. That makes it sound more sophisticated than it is for ordinary <laughs> you know, radical leftists for whom it's just quite nihilistic, actually. There's not a much of a positive project there. And this is a trend I noticed I noticed in Apocalypse Never. I certainly have become more moderate since my radical youth. And it's also the case that progressivism has changed. You know, in the 80s, our heroes were Nelson Mandela and right. You know, even um, radical left people in Latin America, Che Guevara, the Sandinistas, Lula, these were heroic figures. You know, these were people who who they said, we're going to overthrow the government. You know, we're going to issue, we're going to usher in socialism. There's still some of that rhetoric, but it's really different now. It's much more creepy and pathological. It's much more like these people are victims You know, they, nothing should be required of them. And it's like, well, but they're, they're destroying themselves. They're overdosing on tents on the streets. They're, they're, they're sexually assaulting each other in these tents. That's one of the things I discover that nobody loves to, it's like my least popular Twitter videos, people talking about how they've been raped. Um, And I'm like, no, I'm sorry. Well, yeah, (laughs) I'm like, you have to watch it. I'm like, I don't, I mean, I have to do the interviews. I'm always exhausted after I do the interviews. I'm like, you got to watch them. So what's that about? You know, where you're basically allowing the continued perpetuation of victimization by the people you supposedly are supposed to care about. So I think we used to imagine we would rescue those people. You know, you would try to help them, but now it's no, no, no. You have to let them be leave there. them alone, so
2: right? Leave I mean, them alone. Yeah. Like What's compassionate about that? Right.
3: I mean, I I, I absolutely feel absolutely nothing.
2: I feel the same way about about the border crisis in a lot of ways. Right. Yes. I mean, you you allow a whole bunch of people. The idea yeah. that they can escape their their terrible lives and, yeah, and yeah. come to the border only to be met with encampments and lack of food, lack of water, lack of resources, not yeah. nothing. mean drowning,
3: drowning, being raped by coyotes, right? Not not the animal coyotes, but the people coyotes that are transporting people. So, yeah, absolutely. Um, so it's a dogmatism. It comes out of a dogmatism, which is the the victim ideology, you know. And so, dogmatism is kind of. I was thinking the other day, what is it? I mean, dogmatism is where you kind of take a principle or a rule and you insist on it, even when like it's completely undermining <laughs> your ostensible values. Right. Um, and in this case, it's victim ideology. It's their victims and nothing should be required of them, even if they end up destroying themselves. Mm. So I think that has changed and it is nihilistic in the sense that the consequences is, is destruction. There's nothing, you know. It was not that long ago. I mean, when I certainly when I came to San Francisco, and then or in the '90s, there was a kind of smug celebration of the city, of the West Coast cities as livable, walkable. Mm-hmm. You know, it can be annoying, but it's also quite nice. We all like going to Europe, and we like going to these you know sidewalk cafes and strolling along the cobblestone small streets, which were all created before there were cars. We like that kind of city we like that kind of city it's the jane jacobs greenwich village type you know city well that's all gone now i mean you can't do that in downtown san francisco which when you have you know when you have open air drug scene you can't have when people are literally camping on the sidewalk and doing drugs um and becoming psychotic you can't have a little sidewalk cafe there it's it's not safe and so they've sacrificed this you know romantic quasi utopian vision of the city as this beloved community have sacrifice that for the ideology mm-hmm. and that's kind of where the that's what the book kind of goes So it's a dark conclusion and i don't think it's the end of the story it's why i'm running for governor because i think we can we can take hold of our civilization again we can defend civilization we can come together to defend it But that's basically what's been going on. And there's a deep cynicism and nihilism behind it. Yeah, it was so interesting. I mean, I agree with everything you just
2: said. And it's it's just fascinating to come out of someone in California who's surrounded by this on a day-to-day basis, right? I mean, the other piece of what you're living in with liberal governance all the time is this sort of narrative choosing, right? And gatekeeping in terms of what it is that you can say and do and what you know, what yeah. thoughts are permitted. And, and you have, sir, have colored outside the lines <laughs> in a very big yes, way. For sure.
3: Yeah, for sure. So the policing of the discourse is a huge part of it. I even describe it specifically in this context where I have people, various times, activists, homeless, so-called homeless activists and, and radical left people basically saying, well, if you write these things, you will end up causing violence against homeless people, you know, and it's this classic conflation of um, physical violence with, with speech, which we see a lot of. And so, yeah, I mean, I think in some ways it's, um, you know, it's peculiar to the left in the sense that the left is more reflects the, you know, what people sometimes call the professional managerial class. Mm -hmm you know, the anywhere people rather than the somewhere people, the people that can do their work from anywhere remotely, yep. um, upper, you know, upper middle-class educated folks. These are the people whom-
2: we came intimately aware of during COVID lockdown. Yeah. Right?
3: Yeah. 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 That was, I mean, they were, we were all aware of them already, but it becomes accelerated during COVID. And I think that, um, What's interesting about it is the ways in which they're, they're so ideological. I mean, I, I, I've taken people through the tenderloin and people are like or the, through these neighborhoods in San Francisco where the open drug scenes are and there's people just using drugs and it's just this complete open you know, situation. The dealers are all there and they're kind of like, well, then how do you what, what makes you describe this as drug driven rather than driven by high rents? it's like, well, look around. I mean, like, what do you like, well, well maybe those people are only using drugs to cope with life on the street. And it's kind of like, well, first of all, a lot of these folks actually have a place where they live. Like a lot of the, they, we kind of, some, some of them don't, some of them have been kicked out of their homes, but a lot of folks are just part, you know, a lot of people have been given a, an apartment and they're still living, choosing to, you know, use drugs and sleep on the streets. Um, so, but there's a kind of denial of reality yeah. among highly ideological, you know, radical progressives, I think is one of the characteristics of of the progressive ideology that we're dealing with today. I think the conservatives, there is that too, certainly with like the denial of election outcomes, for example, on the right. But I think that, you know, that on other things, you know, I, another area I've dealt with a lot is like energy issues. Yeah, Conservatives right. tend to be more working class, particularly now with the Trump uh, revolution, more working class, more connected to the primary, the productive sectors of the economy. So, you know, if you work in oil and gas or you work in agriculture or you work in manufacturing, you um, you're just not as ideological in that sense. You're not as caught up in in ideology. Now, that may be changing with social media. I always see cops, cops, you know, it's I mean, it's interesting to me. You know, police officers tend to be more conservative, teachers tend to be more liberal. Now, I see police, whenever I see police officers out here, they're always on their smartphones. So maybe that's changing. But I do think that the ideological nature of this explains quite a bit. It does. It's so it's fascinating.
2: Yeah, you know, one thing I want to hit before I get into your run for governor. So, <clears throat> your first book dealt with sort of the what I would think of as almost a religion of extreme environmentalism, right? Right. Where it has has gone far beyond a fact pattern that we all observe in the cause of climate change and, and begun to just sort of, well, become a religion in many ways. And you sort of unmask this bit by bit and talk through that. Um, what? What? How did you come across this? Has this been something that's been a driving? theory for years,
3: for years? That's a great question. Yeah. How, I mean, so you're right. So apocalypse never, I kind of go, what's driving this apocalyptic environmentalism? If all the big environmental trends are mostly going in the right direction, carbon emissions are going down, the amount of land we use for meat production, which is our largest use of the land is going down, which is important if you care about saving endangered species, all these trends are going in the right direction. So then what explains apocalyptic environmentalism? And I look at money, power, religion, and ultimately decide that the religious or ideological impulse is the most important one. Yeah, I mean, I had been looking at this trend of what we call secularization or declining belief in traditional religions you know, for a couple of decades, certainly. I did a book, in, co-authored a book in 2007, where we talked a little bit about how environmentalism had become a religion it became so apocalyptic and of course apocalypse being a religious concept Mm -hmm. and it became so nihilistic that, um, I got a little deeper into it. You know, there's this incredible, it's actually very heavily studied in psychology, which is, you know, there's this idea that basically all fear, including social fear is actually fear of death. And that what we're really afraid of when we're afraid of anything But including being, you know, having a life that doesn't matter, which is a a fear that comes up for people that don't believe in God anymore. So if you believe in God, traditional Judeo Christian God, you know, life matters because what you do in this life determines whether or not you live in eternal damnation or in heaven. If that goes away and you think that you become worm food, no matter how good you are or bad you are at the end of your life, then you're struck with with an existential crisis. What is the point then, mm-hmm. you know? And then a lot of people re- revert to hedonism. Other people invent other. I would call them immortality projects. You know, I'm friends with Stephen Pinker, who's a really wonderful, lovely, humanistic um, atheist, and I think he would say, "Well, we're contributing to to making progress and rationality, and that has a kind of. I think that has almost a spiritual explanation." But I think a lot of people that create some some distress. And so you end up creating new religions, basically, or what we call immortality projects. And that's, uh, it can be positive, like in the case of my friend Steve, um, or it can be quite negative, which is the Greta Thunberg version, which is I'm just going to make people absolutely, I'm going to make everybody else hysterical. (laughs) And um, we're going to, you know, we have to just immediately change everything in the, the whole productive sector of the economy has to change we have to instantly stop using fossil fuels which is just ridiculous and it becomes very very nihilistic in the same way that the radical left becomes nihilistic in wanting to destroy cities and keep open open drug scenes going so you know it's it's this is all uh, sadly and impressively was brilliantly predicted by The philosopher Friedrich Nietzsche, who said that the decline of traditional religion would lead to nihilism, Um, not to, you know, you can get a different, there is a utopianism, like a kind of environmental utopianism, which is that we're all going to use solar panels and wind turbines and ecotopia was a book that was written in the 70s we're all going to sing songs and it's got a kind (laughs) of hippie version to it right right um but that's been eclipsed by just the sheer nihilism Mm -hmm. and resentment and hatred and i think that's really interesting and i'm not quite sure i totally got to the bottom of why that is why why but it's maybe it's because the utopianism doesn't work physically like you can't you know, I was about, I'm working on a piece today about how Goldman Sachs is finally admitting that you can't power society in renewables after having hyped renewables for a decade. Now they're like, oh, yeah, it actually doesn't work. You what know? a
2: terrific revelation, right? Thanks. Yeah. Got it.
3: Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I think maybe that's the problem is that when you try to construct a utopia in the real world, it falls apart. And so you are left with nihilism. In other words, communism failed ecological utopianism failed and so you just end up being a hater
2: yeah yeah uh it's really it's powerful stuff um listen here's what how this translates for me in the political world you're now running for governor yes you're obviously an incredibly smart guy and intellectuals intellectual you've thought through all these issues there's not a lot of intellectualism in politics today michael <laughs> i'm not breaking any news to you no how do you translate this in a sort of bumper sticker world, right? Where you get so few impressions on so few people and you're running in a, you know, a state that's sort of dogmatically liberal.
3: Yeah. I mean, I'm, uh, that's a great question. I mean, I have, we have, I mean, the, my basic process was you do the 400 page book. You have to write the 400 page book before you can write you know, a dozen articles that mm-hmm. summarize the book, and then you have to write a dozen articles. It's really been more like a hundred, but um, you have to write those articles before you can tweet, before you can put it on Twitter, and then you have to kind of boil it da- boil it down, boil it down. You know, or to, to paraphrase Einstein, simplify as much as possible, but no more. Well, I think we've done that pretty well. I mean, my platform is basically on. The homeless so-called homeless issue, it's basically shelter first, treatment first rather than housing first. It's cal psych, statewide psychiatric and addiction care rather than having the counties do it. Yeah. And it's enforce the laws because if you don't enforce laws, it turns out people don't follow them. <laughs> and what a,
2: what an incredible concept.
3: I know it's surprising. And then also it's a way for the it's a way for people to get the help they need, um, you know, psychiatrically and and in terms of addiction. So we did boil it down. And of course, then there's a huge amount of body of research behind all of those planks. But then there's this other issue, which is just this is a, this was the right moment. You know, the, the right, the political right is really lost in California. It's 24% Republican electorate. I was able to persuade Republicans to adopt much of what I'm proposing on ho- homelessness, except for the statewide psychiatric and addiction care part of it. They couldn't get over the fact that it was another government agency. I pointed out that actually, I'm proposing to reduce the number of government agencies from 58 to one. <laughs> but um, creating the new one was too hard for Republicans. Um, so I thought I would support a Republican, but then, but then, it, you know, the Republican I was going to support decided not to run. And so at the last minute, I jumped in. Um, you know, I mean, the shocking thing is that we could we can win if we win, we will win on a, on a tiny amount of money, you know, we'll win on like a million or $2, which is like nothing. When you consider that we're going for the fifth largest economy in the world, an economy bigger than that of India or Britain. So if we win, it'll be a massive underdog um, victory and done using the classic underdog strategies of working harder, moving faster and changing the rules of the game so that's what we've been trying to do. Um, we're in crunch time now. We've gotten a bunch of endorsements. You know, uh, Joe Rogan, Wall Street Journal, the biggest taxpayer rights association, Howard Jarvis Taxpayer Association, David Sachs, an important VC out here at what part of the paper yeah we mafia. just had da-
2: we just had David on last week. Yeah, absolutely, yep. that's David's great. A
3: good guy, um, Scott Adams, who's an important um, heterodox but Trump supporter. You know, I came from the when you come from the left, you end, up, you end up not getting sucked into all the fights that have been occurring between the never Trumpers and the Trumpers. And so I was sort of able right. to float above a lot of that stuff. Yeah. So, yeah, we've gotten it's it's exciting. I mean, basically, the polling that we did shows that the, that our agenda with me representing it as the candidate gets about equal support from Republicans, Democrats and independents, mm-hmm. um, which is very, very unusual you know, in fact, if you kind of take the basic proposal, which is that, you know, people arrested for drug use, public defecation, public camping should be given the alternative, um, an alternative to jail and prison in the form of drug rehab or psychiatric care. That actually pulls slightly higher among Democrats than Republicans who yeah. just would prefer a lock them up <laughs> yeah, approach. Right. Um, so we think it's a unique moment. But, yeah, we will see. I mean, the election is going to be in three weeks. So. Um, this fascinating social experiment of which it is I am a the object. <laughs> It is a social <laughs> we will have experiment. It is a social experiment. Results very soon.
2: Yeah, we're watching all very very closely. I got three quick questions for you that we end with every yep. guest. All right. Sure. So, Michael, this is the important stuff. If you could plan your last meal on Earth, what would
3: it be? Oh wow, my last meal. What's my favorite last meal? Um, I guess it would be. Wow. Um, I guess it would be probably fresh fish.
2: Okay. Okay. Any fish in particular? Are we talking a white fish? Are we talking uh, sea oh, or
3: fresh? You know, I was just thinking the other day, like, my favorite dish is like a seafood stew, but nobody ever makes it right. You know, it's always disappointing. You know, so, yes, yeah, so a well-made seafood stew. Let's put that Somehow,
2: Michael, that feels very on brand.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I'm perpetually disappointed in my favorite things. Kind yeah. of.
2: <laughs> I love that. All right. So here's the second question. If you never got into this area of examining public policy and sort of thought leadership and all these critical issues, if you had this just sort of blue sky amount of time over the last yeah decade and a half that you've dedicated, you know, if not more to all of this and certainly yeah. running for office now. And you could pick anything in the world to fill that time with. What would it be?
3: Probably oh, I mean if I had any if I if I could choose what I could be great at, it would have been a professional soccer player, there but you. I'm not I'm not a good enough soccer player. But if I was to do something in a different reality, I sometimes imagine myself being like a schoolmaster. Okay. Like yeah. running a really nice school somewhere.
2: Yeah. Well you're certainly an educator. So I mean that fits.
3: Yeah. I view myself as an educator. My grandfather was a principal my father my all four of my parents are teachers. So Yeah. For sure. There you go.
2: And and we'll throw the soccer thing in on the side. I mean, look, if that's 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 like
3: fantasy soccer, fantasy football, literally.
2: (laughs) If Ted Ted Cruz can tell us he'd be an NBA basketball player, Michael, you certainly can tell us that you can be a soccer player. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So here's the final question. You guys stick with me on this because it requires a little explanation. Our view is that everybody's driven by one of two things, the thrill of victory or the agony of defeat. And it's certainly not that anybody enjoys defeat or, that they somehow don't like victory. Everybody loves that. Yeah. Yeah. But the thrill of victory person is somebody who's sort of the optimist, you know, glass half full, always charging up the hill for the next endeavor.
3: Oh, there you go, man.
2: The the agony of defeat person is every achievement they've ever had in life lasts about two and a half minutes, but every setback they've ever had drives them beyond anything to try to overcome the next obstacle. Um, Yeah. So those are the two poles. Where do you find yourself? Oh, a
3: hundred percent on, um, on victory. Yeah. Thrill of victory. Absolutely. It it would be hard to take
2: on what you're taking on as anything but a thrill of victory guy.
3: Oh yeah. (laughs) I mean, can you imagine it's insane what we're trying to do? So it's, it's, yeah, it's totally, it's been a thrill ride and, and, uh, the the, the next three weeks are going to be a blast.
2: They are going to be a blast. Michael, tell our audience where they can find you, where they can help you uh, and follow what's going on in your campaign.
3: Thanks, Josh. Yeah, I mean, best is schellenbergerforgovernor.com for the website. My sub stack is just Michael Schellenberger and Twitter. It's shellenberger MD. I'm not an MD, but those are my initials MD. So Schellenberger MD at Twitter. And they can see all the videos and stuff there, too.
2: That's awesome. Well, listen, I appreciate you spending some time with us. Good luck out there. I know you're. Uh, Thanks, Josh. Appreciate you. And, and we'll, we'll stay updated.
1: Awesome. Thanks, man. You know what? This guy is very compelling. Yeah.
4: You know, and I mean, he's tackling the real issues in California, unlike the current governor. Yeah, he's got that going for him. Um, and, you know, I'm sure he'll be attacked by all of the liberal media in California. And they'll paint him as some ultra mega guy. And, um, you know, we'll I mean, it's California. Right. But, hey, crazier that- things have happened.
0: And you know what? If it's any year, it's going to be this red wave year. That's true. Which, you know, I think, honestly, that's how we end the show, you know, folks? We we keep the happy soldier movement going. And another banger of an episode, you know, get well soon, Holmes. He should be back in soon. Well, I don't know. What do they say? Quarantine for a bunch of days? I think he should
1: be fine. Yeah. Holmes, you yeah, should be back bet- on the he next He better be back.
0: So until next time, minions, keep the faith, hold the line, and own the lids.
1: We'll see you on Thursday. Stay ruthless.